What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where we post out all of our new podcast links, different articles, news and notes. Everything that we post out on the baseball side is shared out at EthosFantasyBB. So make sure you're giving it a follow if you guys are on Twitter. If you are not somebody who uses Twitter anymore, or maybe you never used it to begin with, you can get all that same content at SportsEthos.com. I also do want to remind you guys that we're continuing to add people into our Discord. It is a pretty large community over there, about 1,700 people. There is a free side. There is a premium side if you are a subscriber to one of our Fantasy Passes or DFS Passes. Uh, there's, there's a ton of stuff we offer at Sports Ethos. If you are a subscriber in any way, you are able to get access to the premium side of the Discord. Of course, everybody is able to get in on the free side. If you guys are interested, I shared out a link earlier today. Dan Bespris also shares them out pretty regularly. Uh, and if you guys are having trouble finding that, you can reach out to me directly at JoeOrico99, and I'll get you guys added up into our Discord. It's a great growing community. Like I said, there is a free side where people talk baseball. There is also the premium side where we got a bunch of our writers in there answering questions all the time. It's a great community. I really recommend checking it out, even if you don't want to you know, pony up for one of these premium packages. Get in there for free and just start talking baseball with a bunch of great people. But today... We have a pretty busy show planned. We're going to talk about some news and notes, as we will usually do here. A couple of things that are very pressing uh, for fantasy purposes. We're going to talk about some notes from last night's games. We're going to go over some streamers for tomorrow. If you guys are in daily changes leagues, which I believe a lot of you are, based on the polling I did before the season, I think a lot of you guys are in daily changes leagues. We'll talk about three potential streamers. And then I opened up a mailbag over on Twitter as well. And we are going to get to some of those questions. But let's start off. With a couple of news and notes here. And the first one being Tim Anderson is going to be out for two to four weeks, they are saying, with a sprained left knee. This one is tough. I have Tim Anderson in a couple of different spots. Now there are some people who are avoiding Tim Anderson altogether before the season started because of the injury history with him. Last year he wasn't fully healthy. People were scared. I was a little scared. I was banking on a, a more full, healthy season from Tim Anderson. This might not be the end of that. It's certainly a huge roadblock, though, especially if he does miss on the longer side of that timeline. Uh, recouping some of those counting stats being out for a month might be a little bit challenging uh, for Tim Anderson. There's nothing you can do other than put him on the injured list. Obviously, there's nobody who's going to be dropping him. I don't think even in your absolutely most shallow formats, Tim Anderson is pretty clearly somebody that you should be holding on to. The timeline, it, it's, uh, it's hard to say if it's going to be on the, the smaller end of that, you know, closer to a week and a half, two weeks, or, you know, closer to a month or beyond that. They're pretty optimistic, according to manager uh, Pedro Grifol's reports. Uh, he says that they are pretty optimistic that it won't be too serious. So we'll just have to see exactly how serious that becomes. In terms of replacements, there are a couple of replacements. One guy that I've been adding up in a lot of spots, shortstop eligible, is Bryson Stott. And we talked about him a couple times. We're going to talk about him later on again in our notes. Now, he's back down closer to the bottom of the order today, but he did bat leadoff yesterday. He has been kind of in the middle of that Phillies order. He's batting 415 on the young season, 17 for 41. He's stolen a couple of bases. That's somebody who I would really consider if you are just looking to replace a shortstop. He is only rostered Bryson Stott in 53% of leagues. It is going up, so if you do want to get at him, you should probably go for that pretty soon. He's the guy I would really be looking at. Orlando Arcia as well, second base shortstop and outfield eligible. He's playing every single day so far for the Braves, even though he's at the bottom of the order. He's producing. He's got a 341 average, a couple of home runs. He scored 10 runs already so far as well in 41 at-bats. Pretty impressive stuff. Uh, you know, a lot of that does come back to the great lineup that he's in. 
But regardless, if you're just looking for a fill-in, Orlando Arcia is another guy where I'd be looking. And Bryce Terang as well. He's still only 33% rostered in Yahoo leagues. Last couple of games have been not so great for him in terms of adding in those counting stats, stolen bases, home runs. They've been kind of bare over this last week. But he still has a home run and a couple of steals for the season. He is batting over 300. So Bryce Terang, Bryson Stott, and Orlando Arcia are the guys I would look at there uh, in most leagues. They're not going to be available in all leagues. But in a lot of leagues, you're going to find at least one or two of those guys available. They would be uh, my direct replacements there for Tim Anderson at this point. Now, another Anderson, a tough day for the Andersons. Ian is going to be having Tommy John surgery, and he is going to miss the remainder of the season. And who knows how this will impact him next year. Not great start to the career for Ian Anderson. You know, he was very promising a couple of years back, and now he has been mired to injuries. Last year, he was not very good at all. He was somebody where, you know, by midseason, it didn't even really take that long. You kind of knew he was going to be a drop. He had an incredible start to his career. His first six games, you know, in 2020, in the short year, he pitched to a 195 ERA, great strikeouts. 2021 and 2022, not as good. 2021 was all right. 22 was a disaster, and now 23 is looking like a disaster as well. He won't throw a single pitch this year, and it is obviously something where you have to think about. Obviously, from a redraft point of view, he's the drop. Even from a dynasty point of view, I'm not the biggest dynasty guy. I don't know how much value Ian Anderson is really going to have at this point. We're still talking about a young pitcher. I mean, it's hard to believe, but he's 24 years old still. He has not even turned 25, which will be coming next month. But still, uh, he is very, very young, very raw. I don't want to give up on him, but this health is very concerning. Obviously, at this point, even if you were going to trade him, his value is very low. I think he's probably just going to be somebody that you drop in a lot of in a lot of re, or excuse me in a lot of dynasty or keeper leagues. I, I just don't see there being a ton of value there in the long run. Maybe people will disagree. I just pitchers are so volatile to begin with. That's why you usually see them push down dynasty rankings. A guy like Ian Anderson, who granted has had a lot of success in the minor leagues, limited success in the major leagues, and he's dealt with all these injuries. I'm I'm not really at a point where I think Ian Anderson is going to be a hold in, in any format going forward. Uh, I could be wrong, but at this point, the only thing he really has going for him is great team context, and he can strike out batters, but we'll have to see exactly how that comes back from Tommy John because you never know exactly how that's going to play. Sticking in Atlanta, though, Kyle Wright is going to make his season debut tonight. This is more of just a reminder for you guys. If you have been you know maybe not paying so much attention these last couple days or you've been busy today or whatever, Make sure he's in your starting lineup. He's going to be at home against Cincinnati. This is a great start for him, a great opponent for him. And he's coming off of a very, very strong season. I heard kind of you know conflicting sentiments about him in the offseason. Some people were saying he's great. He's a great value. Some people were saying, eh, 21 wins is pushing up why people value him. I, I think both are true to some degree. He's a very, very strong pitcher. 21 wins is obviously not going to happen again. It just doesn't happen really for anybody. 20-win seasons in this day and age are incredibly rare to do it multiple times. Not going to happen. But he can still give you all right strikeout numbers, a little bit above league average to go along with what should be very solid ratios. And, you know, even if it's not 21 wins, can it be 15 pitching for this team? You know, 13, 15 victories over the course of a whole season. Absolutely. So all that you guys already knew. There's no adding of Kyle Wright anywhere. Really, he's 94% rostered in Yahoo League. So I guess take a look. But uh, you're probably not going to be finding him anywhere. This is more just a reminder to get him off the IL and into your lineup for tonight. Let's talk Sandy Alcantara because 
absolute shit show for him to start the season. Well, I guess it's kind of been good and bad because he did have that complete game mixed into the mix. Uh, but last night against Philadelphia, four innings, 10 hits, nine earned runs, one walk, and four strikeouts. Sandy Alcantara, to this point of the year, has a 5.79 ERA, 11 strikeouts in 18 innings pitched. It's way too early for anybody to make full judgments on any player at this point, but this is kind of why I was down on Sandy because there's not that fallback strikeout or team context to really ensure you are going to have good production, even if he does falter. With a guy like Jacob deGrom, who has been a little bit hit or miss this year in terms of the actual results, you know, he got kind of shelled in that first game. He's going to be going again tonight against Kansas City, by the way. Um, but, you know, he does have 18 strikeouts in the first nine innings he's pitched this year that you can kind of fall back on and say, okay, great strikeouts. Team context is a little bit better than Miami. With Alcantara, you got a bad team. you got a guy who doesn't strike guys out, and you need the volume for him there to really be successful. So is he going to end up the year with a 5.79 ERA? Absolutely not. But this is kind of just highlighting why I was a little more down on him than a lot of people were. I was one of the only people, I think, who had Sandy Alcantara ranked outside the top 10. I've never in my life gotten more pushback on Twitter about any of my takes ever in this last year than about putting Sandy outside the top 10. But so far, the early returns, maybe he gets there, but I I honestly don't know for sure that he is going to be a top 10 pitcher this year. And a lot of it does come back to the strikeouts. Will he give up nine runs even one more time this year? Probably not. But I just don't like the volatility in general with a guy who pitches for such a poor team and has a strikeout rate that is below nine Ks per, uh, or nine Ks per nine, I guess I should say. Not really somebody that was a target of mine. I have him in one league, and he blew up, absolutely blew up my ERA in that league, in a Roto league. So there's nothing you can do about it, obviously, at this point. There's no shopping him because the value is going to be shot at this point. You just kind of have to hold on, hope for the best for Sandy Alcantara, but it's certainly not been good to this point. I mean, I guess you could try and trade him, but I I don't think that that would be wise at this point. You're not going to get full value. He gets the Diamondbacks later this week. It is a two-star week for Sandy, for those of you guys in weekly leagues. I The week I started him, or this week, was uh, in a weekly league, so he's locked in for that second start against the Diamondbacks. That'll be on Sunday. Hoping for a bounce back there, but the early return so far, not been very good uh, for our friend Sandy Alcantara. Now we are going to talk about some of the notes that I made from last night's games. If you guys are not following on Twitter, this is what I do every single night. I'll take the odd weekend day off here or there, depending on if I have fans, uh, fans plans with my family or girlfriend or whatever's going on. There might be the odd weekend day where I take off. But I'm going to do these fantasy baseball notes, these quick hits, every single day on Twitter if you're not following. Just another reason uh, to be going over there because I'm going to talk about my notes. I'm going to go into a little more depth on the show here, but you get them earlier in the day if you are following over on Twitter. Let's start with Brandon Marsh. He continues to look very impressive. He's 10 for 26 to start the year. Five, ho- uh, excuse me, five runs, two homers, seven ribbies, and a stolen base. I don't think that he is a shallow league play just yet. But he could very well end up there. He's up to only 14% rostered in Yahoo leagues. I think that he is a daily change darling. He's not going to play that much against lefties. He is somebody where you plug in there when he is against right-handed pitching. And you should be able to have pretty good results. It actually might help us all that he's not going to face that many left-handed pitchers. Because his batting average should should be boosted by that. I don't think he's going to bat over 300 necessarily. But can he give you like a 260-270 season? With double-digit homers and steals, I think that that is totally within the realm of possibility for Brandon Marsh. Pretty highly touted prospect on the Angels, and he's been given kind of a a new chance here in Philadelphia. The Angels just a disaster with their outfield situation for the last several years. 
no room there for for prospects to come up. We've seen Joe Adele. I mean, Joe Adele hasn't been very good. If he was good, they would have made room for him. Uh, but there's not a lot of space out there in that Angels outfield. He's been given more of a chance here in Philadelphia, and he's taken it so far. So I'm not adding him up in shallow leagues yet in a 10 or a 12, uh, but he is definitely somebody to keep an eye on. And I wouldn't fault you for it. If you're in a daily changes league and you need to fill in for an injury replacement, if you picked up Brandon Marsh in a 12-teamer, I would not hold it against you. Bryce Elder, this is one that's coming out of the blue for us this season a little bit. Second consecutive strong outing to start the year. He went six and a third, seven strikeouts, one walk, six hits, and zero earned runs with a 34% CSW against the Reds. Now it was the Reds, but last weekend he shut down, or last week he shut down the Cardinals in St. Louis as well. I think at this point we are in 12-team ad territory for Bryce Elder, even though I'm not sure about the long-term prospects of it. For At this point... He has done enough where you need to be adding him up, certainly for his start, which will be Sunday in Kansas City. Is he going to be in the rotation? I think likely, considering the injury to Ian Anderson. They, they're not the deepest pitching staff at this point. When you got guys like Schuster and Dodd pitching in the first week of the season, they don't have the deepest staff as we might have thought preseason. Kyle Wright coming back will obviously help that. But I do see Bryce Elder as being somebody who will probably be in the rotation the rest of the season. This is more of a speculative ad as opposed to somebody I think is going to be a must roster fantasy player all year. He has done enough to warrant that, though, and specifically with the matchup against Kansas City coming up, I am, I'm definitely definitely going to be adding him up for that one. He's up to 47% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. He was only 6% rostered last week. So if you do want to get in on him, uh, on Bryce Elder, you should probably be doing that sooner uh, rather than later. Again, I don't know if he's going to be a savior for fantasy. He's not going to you know have shutouts every single time. But I think he's done enough to warrant a 12-team speculative ad. Sean Murphy had a great game yesterday. Three for five, a couple doubles, and he hit a home run. I believe it was a walk-off home run. The catcher situation in Atlanta is incredibly frustrating. And you know, for fans of the Braves, probably for fantasy managers, specifically if you have Sean Murphy shares. Now, I've got a couple of Travis Darno shares, and one of them in the draft champions, in the draft and hold, where there's no in-season moves. I was very happy to have Travis Darno. That particular team, I drafted Carson Kelly and Darno as my catchers. This was one of the drafts I did in November, and it looked awful at first. Carson Kelly went down, Sean Murphy went to Atlanta, and now you know I drafted Gabriel Moreno as a handcuff in that league, and I have I have Darno, so it's actually been not too bad. I know Darno is on the injured list right now, but that catcher situation, unless you do have a lot of Darno shares, has been very very frustrating to go through. We won't really know. The thing is, you know, Sean Murphy had a great game yesterday, and everybody on Twitter is saying, oh, look, everybody was so worried about Murphy's playing time in the first week. It's still a valid concern. Darno is not there. If Darno is there and this is still happening, then maybe you'd read a little bit more into it. But even then, I feel like Sean Murphy isn't going to get the same amount of plate appearances that we were expecting, certainly nowhere near the 600 he had last year, uh, if this if this rate keeps up. Now, Travis Darno has never been a guy who's played – a whole season, really. It's like 107, I believe, without looking at it. I think that is his games played high for his career. So there will be opportunities still for Sean Murphy to get his reps in, but it won't be as many as we were probably expecting. Now, there's no real move to be made here. I've had a couple of questions in, like, eight-team leagues. Would you drop Sean Murphy? In an eight-team, one-catcher format, then yeah. I don't have a big problem with it. There are probably, you know, a Logan O'Hoppy or somebody on the waiver wire that is a lot more interesting. I don't have a problem with it there. In most formats, though, I think you got to hold Sean Murphy. We know what he's capable of, and we still don't really know exactly how this playing time is going to shake out. So unless it's the shallowest of shallow leagues, I'm still holding on to Sean Murphy for now. I still... I. 
it's a tricky one. It's definitely a tricky one, but I think that he will still get enough plate appearances to make him worthwhile. Certainly in a two-catcher format, absolutely. One catcher, I understand it's frustrating, but we just kind of have to hold out for now and kind of just see what the Braves do once Darno is back. Because even if he plays every single game while Darno is out, that doesn't really tell us what they're going to do uh, when everybody's healthy. Andrew Chafin looked really strong for the Diamondbacks. He struck out the side and picked up a save last night. Now, I think he is the preferred option to Scott McGuff, who pitched in the eighth inning. And I think at this point, Chafin is somebody who is one of the decent ads you can you can go and look at in Yahoo leagues or wherever if you're looking for saves. He's up to 38% rostered. Last night when I pulled these notes together, he was 30% rostered. So people are definitely adding him up. Is he the number one option for saves on the waiver wire? I guess it really depends on your waiver wire. I mean, Jose Alvarado is still available in a lot of leagues. I'm more confident in his abilities, for sure, uh, than I am with Andrew Chafin. Alvarado is ridiculously good. We have Reynaldo Lopez, who's 41% rostered, who does have a clear path to saves, I think. As much as I thought it was going to be Kendall Graveman in the offseason, I'll take my L there. I ranked Kendall Graveman too high. Lopez should have been higher. He's still available in 60, 59% of leagues. Michael Fulmer, kind of the same thing. I know he uh, gave up a home run, blew a save yesterday, but I think he is the Cubs' primary closer, even with that home run given up. You know, that was the first run he'd allowed this season, and he has gotten the save opportunity. So I think that Fulmer is probably the guy there in Chicago. There are a lot of options. A.J. Puck as well in Miami. Uh, you know, We mentioned Alvarado. There's Danny Jimenez in Oakland, who I think is likely going to get the majority of the save opportunities, maybe some Trevor May. But there's a lot. There are a lot of save options in shallower formats. Chafin is interesting. I don't know exactly how secure his job is going to be because the Diamondbacks have so many options at the closer position. I'm uh, I'm fine with adding him up in most formats. I added him in a 15-teamer. I didn't start him this week because I'm an idiot. He's on my bench. But I'm not really sold that he is like a must-roster 12-team guy, especially with all the other closers who are floating around there. 10, 12-team leagues, it it will vary. 15s, yes, absolutely, he is a must-roster player. 10s and 12s, you can make the argument, and I wouldn't give you so much pushback, but I think there's probably some better options. Unless you're really desperate for saves and there's just nobody else that you're looking for, or nobody else that's available, I should say, uh, I, I'm probably looking at somewhere else that's a little more certain, but I don't have a huge problem with Chafin either. He seems to be the trusted guy for now in Arizona. Even if you're just banking, you know, five or ten saves out of him, that can be very valuable in a roto format as well. So I don't have a problem with it. I just think that depending on your league format, there might be some more sure things out there. But let's keep it going. Orlando Arcia, we mentioned him earlier as a potential pickup for Tim Anderson to replace him. 14 to 41, two homers, 10 runs scored. He's played every single day, good eligibility. I have short-term interest in Arcia. I don't know if this is going to last all year. I think Vaughn Grissom will be up sooner rather than later still. I mean, who knows exactly what the Braves are going to do. I think we'll see Grissom, though, sooner rather than too late. I think by like the time a month from now rolls around, is it still going to be Arcia? Probably not. But while he is in the lineup playing every day and producing, while also offering positional eligibility at three different spots, I think that Arcia is somebody who is an interesting short-term pickup. Now, I also mentioned Bryson Stott in my notes yesterday, but we talked about him. I'm interested in all formats at this point. Even though he's bouncing around the order a little bit, there'll be some days where he's probably closer to the bottom. But he did bat leadoff yesterday, which is a huge bonus, even if it doesn't happen all the time. I like that. I like the way they arranged that lineup, and I hope they do it more often, uh, specifically because I added Bryson Stott in a couple of leagues. So selfishly, that's what I'm hoping for. 
but he is going to be a pretty special player. I think the contact skills are there, double-digit homers and steals, even on the low end, you know, 12 and 12 with, you know, 260, 270 batting average, somewhere like that. Uh, I'm, I'm in. I'm in on Bryson Stott in 12-team leagues, maybe not in the shallowest of formats, but in most cases, I think he is worthy of an ad at this point. Jared Kelenic. Let's talk about Jared Kelenic. Nine for 30 to start the year. Three runs, a homer, a couple of stolen bases. We know the potential is there with Jared Kelenic. Is he going to put it together? I don't know. I, I'd love to be able to tell you guys for sure, but we've seen this from him a little bit in the past. I think it was two years ago when he first came up, and he looked really good for a while, and then he looked terrible. Is he going to be you know, just good consistently now? It's too soon to tell, but I do think he is worth a speculative ad. Uh, he hasn't played every single day. He's played most days. Uh, and actually, yesterday, he didn't even start. He came off uh, the bench as a defensive replacement and then hit the game-tying home run off of Michael Fulmer. I am more interested if you have daily changes. Uh, I don't know if I'm setting him into weekly lineups and feeling that comfortable about it just yet. Is he worth an ad in most formats? I think so, just because we know the prospect pedigree a couple of years ago. Not even that long ago, we were looking at Jared Kelenic as being the number one prospect in baseball ahead of guys like Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt Jr. It didn't pan out that way, but the prospect pedigree is still there. His minor league numbers, if you go and look at them, they're just absurd. Like he was, a, he's a phenomenal prospect still. He's still a very young guy who's figuring it out. Maybe it's taken him a little bit longer than most. And at this point, a lot of people would say, you know what? I don't want to be bothering with Jared Kelenic. He's hurt me too many times. I don't know that he's that great of an asset. The potential is there for him to be a fantastic asset. So I think in a lot of cases, he is worthy of an ad. Not in the shallowest of leagues, not in an 8 or a 10-team league, but I think 12 and deeper, I'd be making the plunge there on Kelnick. And maybe even in a 10-team league, you want to take the chance. I wouldn't fault you for it. But I think 12 teams and beyond, uh, I'd be very interested in taking a chance to see if he's legit this season. Andrew Heaney, he bounced back well against the Royals last night. He got the W, five innings pitched, 10 strikeouts. He actually struck out the first nine batters of the game, I believe, which is very impressive. Two walks and two hits. He only had a 29% CSW, which is called strikes plus whiffs. Usually the league average is about 30. You'd like to see him get a bit above that, especially against the Royals. You're not going to kill him for it. He did a good job against a poor opponent, but I'm still not really sold that Andrew Heaney is a 12-team guy. And A lot of people were adding him up this morning. And I guess it's understandable based on, you know, the way he performed yesterday. But we have to also factor in that this was against the Royals. He was added in 785 Yahoo leagues. And then, funnily enough, more than 300 leagues actually dropped him. So he was being used as a streamer in some cases. I definitely understand it. I don't know that he is a must roster. In fact, I'd lean towards him probably not being a must roster. And specifically, this week coming up, he gets the Houston Astros in Houston. So I'm not starting him in that ballpark against that team. No chance. I think if you want to hold on to him, yeah, I'd be fine with it. But I don't think that there is you know, a solidified path to him being a 12-team guy. I think the strikeouts are what he does really well, but he is so volatile that on any given day, it could go very well or very poorly for him. So I, you're falling back on those Ks, worst-case scenario, which I do like. But that's kind of it with Andrew Heaney. I don't think that he is a must-roster player. And certainly, certainly do not start him against the Astros later this week. That is a recipe for disaster. Last call pretty much on James Outman at this point. We've mentioned him a lot on the show. His roster percentage is up to 75 over on Yahoo. He is a top 20 fantasy asset so far this season. He's batting 300, 9 for 30. Three homers, two stolen bases. He's also scored eight times and driven in nine runs. He has been phenomenal all across the board. Even in his small sample size last year, 13 at-bats, but he had six hits, including a home run. 
He seems to be able to handle Major League pitching pretty well. I'm thinking he'll move up in that lineup as well at some point. He started off eighth uh, for the first couple of games of the year. Now he's been bouncing around sixth and seventh. I'm hoping we get him up to the five hole at some point. That would be ideal for Outman, more RBI potential. Uh, he's a must-roster player. The only reason I'm mentioning him here is because he is available in too many leagues. I don't think he should be available in any of them. Uh, he was I think 71% rostered last night when I was pulling these notes together. Now he's up to 75. So there's not a lot of time still to go get James Outman. Most competitive leagues, he's probably long gone. But just take a look on your waiver wire and see if there is a chance uh, that you can still get him. Because there's, I think he is a rest of season top 100 batter. Not, a hundred, not top 100 player necessarily, but I think a top 100 position player. Uh, I think that we could definitely see a path to that. So go get Outman while you still can. A quarter of leagues, he's still available. It's not going to be a lot. Obviously, those are going to be more shallow leagues, leagues that aren't taking it as seriously, not paying as much attention. But James Outman, you know, more than 4,000 ads today on Yahoo. Uh, I couldn't agree more. 43 leagues dropped him for some reason. I couldn't tell you why. Uh, but he's definitely somebody that I'd be scooping up while you still can because that window is going to be firmly closed uh, pretty damn soon. Let's talk about some Wednesday potential streamers. Not a great day for streaming again. I've highlighted three guys that I think are fairly viable. But I don't know that any of them, well, one of them for sure uh, is, is interesting to me. The other ones are kind of a little bit interesting. But let's start with my number one target tomorrow in terms of streaming. And that is Dre Jameson. He is going to go up against Brandon Woodruff and the Brewers. It's not the easiest matchup, but it's certainly doable, right? Like that's not a, a crazy hard offense. They're, they're okay. I think they're a little bit overblown. Looking at what Jameson has done so far this year, eight and a third innings pitched. He's got two wins and a save in his three appearances. Very impressive. Very lucky as well, let's be honest, but very impressive. He struck out eight batters in those eight innings. He has a 2-1-6 ERA and a 120 whip. Last year, in 24 innings at the major league level, he struck out exactly a batter per inning, 148 ERA, 111 whip. He is somebody where I'm taking a chance on him tonight as a streamer. He's up to 20% rostered in Yahoo leagues. I've added him in 15 teamers. I think even in 12-teamers, he makes a really strong streamer. In 10s, maybe you're pushing it a little bit, but even there, I think that you can have some viability in him. Arizona looks very good this year so far. He's going to get the start here, and I think that there's a good chance he sticks in the rotation. You know, they've got some they've got some nonsense in that rotation. Now that Davies is hurt, it's good for Jamison. I don't know if they're going to... I don't know if they're going to keep Bumgarner in there the whole year. I mean, maybe they will. They're actively making the team worse with Bumgarner in the rotation. I think they Brandon Fott, Ryan Nelson, anybody, just somebody else, because uh, Fott is not doing well. And I think Nelson actually, has he started? Yeah, he actually, Nelson is starting. What am I talking about? He's already there. Uh, it's, it's Brandon Fott. It's Brandon Fott who needs to be picked up or who needs to be called up and put in that rotation ahead of Bumgarner. But for Dre Jamison, sorry, I went off on a tangent there. For Dre Jamison, he is probably the guy I'm looking at today as being the best streamer uh, for tomorrow, for tomorrow's streams. I think that, you know, even if it doesn't go according to plan necessarily, the process does make sense. It's going to be his first start, which is a little bit frightening for sure. But he's been very good against good teams so far. Dodgers twice and San Diego, albeit small sample size, but he's doing very well. And I think when you look at all the options available for you tomorrow, he is the guy that I would be going for. Not in the shallowest of leagues. I don't think he's an 8 or a 10-team guy necessarily. But you could make the argument in 12s and deeper. And, you know, in my 10-team home league, he did get added up for a stream. So there is some room there even in 10-teamers for Dre Jamison. I don't know that he is going to be a fantasy stud necessarily. 
but I think he can be a very solid pitcher who's given you average strikeout numbers, decent win potential on this team, and probably very solid ratios because that's what we've seen from him at, at all levels of the minor leagues. There's been some some blips here and there. Uh, last year in AAA wasn't the greatest, um, but for the most part, we've seen very strong numbers from him throughout the minors, good strikeouts. Uh, you know, I, I like Dre Jameson. Maybe he's been overblown a little bit in the community about how good he is because, you know, three star, three times out and he has two wins and a save. Maybe people are overvaluing that a little bit. But I think overall, uh, I, I'm very confident in using him as a streamer against Milwaukee. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But there's a chance that he could be a rest of season play here. Again, I don't know that he's going to be a savior for your teams, but I think that he can still have quite a bit of value there. Uh, as a fifth starter, sixth starter for your fantasy team, probably even seventh, uh, depending on how deep your league is. But Dre Jamison against Milwaukee, he is the guy that I would be going for as a streamer tomorrow. A couple of other guys who I'm not quite as confident in, still eh, still interesting, but Mackenzie Gore, uh, he is the next one up here. Very good start to the season for him so far. Now he does get the Angels, which is a little bit, little bit scary. But he did well against Atlanta. He did well in Colorado. Picked up the win in both of those games. Threw his 11 in the third innings. 238 ERA. He's won both of the decisions. 12 strikeouts. Good good everything. He's been solid all across the board. The Angels, as a team, are a little bit scary. But so far this season, I mean, they're third in runs. But they're 16th in hits. They're 18th in average. They're 12th in on-base percentage. They're fourth in home runs, which has been their, their kind of bread and butter this season, hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Other than that, their offense has been kind of all right, they're a 5-5 five and five team. I think Mackenzie Gore is, is a pretty fine stream uh, to use up against them tomorrow. Again, not somebody that I'm adding all over the place or anything like that, but I think there is still some value to be had for sure, specifically in your deeper formats. Brad Keller is the last one here. Brad Keller has been off to a very good start to his season. Again, I don't know that he is going to be a savior for the rest of the year, but I think he's a decent streamer in certain opportunities, and tomorrow he does get the Rangers in Texas. Brad Keller overall is not the greatest pitcher in the world, but he does look pretty all right this season so far. And he's only 3% rostered in Yahoo League, so he is probably your best bet right now. He's done well against Minnesota and San Fran so far this year. Texas is probably the most challenging of those three teams, but I think that he is still an all right option. Probably in your deeper leagues, he's probably like a 15-team streamer. Um, but I think there's still some viability considering how he's done so far this year. So Dre Jamison, Brad Keller, Mackenzie Gore, those are the guys I am looking at. Jamison is my preference. I acknowledge that it is his, it is his first start, so there is some chance for it to not go so well. Uh, obviously, he made a couple of starts last year, but uh, there, there is potential. There's always potential for blow-up when a guy is making their first start of the year. A young guy, not a lot of experience, although he is 25. He's older than most prospects. There is some volatility, so I'd understand not doing it in the most shallow formats, but he is my preferred guy uh, tomorrow, followed by Mackenzie Gore, and then followed by Brad Keller. That is how I would arrange them. Now let's get to the mailbag part of the show. We have, it looks like, I think, eight questions or so, uh, and let's take a look at what we have got. So first question, on a Diamondbacks team that actually looks really good this year, could Andrew Chafin be a top 10 closer? I think that that might be pushing it a little bit. I don't know that top 10 is going gonna, is gonna to happen. I think he could be a top 20 closer, which still makes him valuable in a lot of formats. I just think, you know, don't push your expectations too high because the top 10 closer, uh, you know, it's pretty solidified in my eyes, the top seven or eight, nine closers. He would have to do a lot to get in there. The strikeout rate would have to be incredible. I don't know that that's really going to happen necessarily. He needs to have the job. 
which is, I think he has it for now, but they have like five guys who they could use in save situations. So I'm not ready to christen him as the second coming yet. I think that he's probably a top 20 closer, but even then, uh, it's still too early to really tell. Is he worth an ad in most formats? Yes, uh, but I'm not sure that we're necessarily going to see an amazing season from him. He might just back himself into like 15 saves or so, and I'd be happy with that, but I'd keep the expectations in check at the same time. Next up, would you trade Eflin for Yandy Diaz, 5 by 5 league? That's a very fair trade, I think, depending on what your team is looking for. Yandy Diaz is somebody that I was targeting quite a bit in draft season. I have a couple of shares in 15-team leagues. He's got eligibility at first and third. You know, he's going to hit you probably close to double-digit home runs. It might be about 10 or so. He's already got two and 30 at bat, so 10, 12 home runs. He's going to chip in a couple of steals. He's batting at the top of the order for Tampa, so, you know, 80, 85 runs is definitely in play, and we know that he is capable of hitting close to 300. I really like Andy Diaz. On the other side, Zach Eflin is also very solid now. Actually, (laughs) right as I've started recording this, this was 18 minutes ago, so in the middle of recording this, he was actually placed on the IL with lower back tightness. So he will miss a couple of starts, it looks like. Um, that changes how I'd look at this trade a little bit. I, I would say it's an even trade with before uh, the F1 injury thing, depending on team need. At this point, with the injury, you're probably going to lean towards Yandy Diaz. Uh, I don't know if you'll be able to make this trade anymore, but Diaz is a slight lean. But Zach Eflin had been very good uh, so far. His first two starts of the year against Detroit and Oakland, granted not good teams, but a couple of victories, 327 ERA, good strikeout numbers, good whip. He looked very solid. So we'll have to see how serious this is exactly. Back tightness can be a day or two. It can also be a couple months. Who knows? Uh, But we'll have to just kind of see how that plays out. But I think it is an even trade overall. John is asking, let's assume Corbin Burns has another stinker. God, I I really hope not, but let's assume he does. Uh, what course of action, if any, would you take with him? There's nothing you can really do. Uh, you know, If he does have another stinker, his trade value is in the absolute can, and you're probably not going to be able to trade him for anybody at that point. And if you are, it's all, I mean, you'll be able to trade him for somebody because he is still Corbin Burns, right? We're talking a Cy Young winner. He was fairly consensus number one SP coming into the year. Some people had Garrett Cole. That's fine. If in, even if he gets, you know, shit on tonight, which I'm not expecting, you just hold. You just have to hold him. Maybe you want to bench him, but even then, I don't know that you can tell yourself that, look yourself in the face in the mirror and say, I'm, I benched Corbin Burns tonight. He is going to rebound, and he's going to be fine. We saw it early last year with Brandon Woodruff, how he was awful to begin the year. He was a buy low. He ended up being fantastic. Different pitcher, same team, but generally we're talking to elite pitchers. When they, when they don't figure it out right away, there is reason to be a little bit concerned, but a guy like Corbin Burns with his track record, I'm not willing to throw away everything we know about him and his ability based on two starts. Now, if it's a third start, that would suck. What I would advise is if you're not the Burns owner in your league, let's say you get shit on tonight, throw an offer, throw a low ball offer in there because there's a chance maybe somebody would say, you know what, I'm done with Corbin Burns. I think you'd be foolish as all hell to do that. But people will be doing that. People are already sour on him. People are already sour on everybody who has not been good because we live in a world of what have you done for me lately, especially in the fantasy sports world, in the sports world in general, but specifically for fantasy. You know, a guy is over for 4 for five days in a row. He's shit, he's shit, he's shit, he's shit. And then he hits a couple of home runs, and then we love him again because that's just kind of the way it works. If Corbin Burns goes out and has a great start tonight, people will probably forget about those first two starts of the year. If he goes out and has a bad one, 
then people are going to only be thinking about how Corbin Burns is a bust. And there's probably a buy-low opportunity. There is already a buy-low opportunity. If he has another bad one and he's on your team, it's unfortunate. I know because I have him in a couple of teams. He's one of my most rostered players this year. I just don't think there's any move you can make. Uh, you just kind of have to maybe bench him, but even then I think it would probably be a little bit extreme to bench him against any opponent. You know, Maybe you want to make an argument if he's in Colorado or in St. Louis or whatever, but even then I, I don't think so. I think Corbin Burns is going to figure it out. I think he'll be fine. If he gets shit on tonight, it would suck, but there's no real move you can make if you are the owner. If you are somebody who is not have him, <clears throat> throw an offer out there. Throw a low ball offer out there. Offer a Pablo Lopez for him. Or somebody who's done very well but is a much lower-ranked player, a Joe Ryan, you know, even Jeffrey Springs. People aren't going to want to part with Jeffrey Springs <coughs> because of the way he's performed. And I did a poll last week uh, with Jeffrey Springs in it saying, would you rather have Jeffrey Springs or Zach Allen rest of the season? Two-thirds of people said Jeffrey Springs. When you look at the lineups that they've been facing to start the year, uh, I don't know. People are very, very quick to change their mind on value. So uh, who who knows if the owner of Burns in your league would even want to sell low after another bad start. But I think that there will be a window in a lot of leagues that should be opened up if he does you know, shit his pants again. Which, again, we're not expecting. But if it were to happen, uh, essentially you do nothing if you have him. Next question. Thoughts on Josh Lowe and Trent Grisham. Trent Grisham, I think, has been pretty interesting. He's not a great baseball player. But he's been pretty interesting to roster, especially in daily changes so far this year. He's got three home runs in his, how many games has he played? Uh, he's played almost all, actually he has played in all of them. Uh, it's just been a matter of where he's been in the order. He's batting at the top against righties, bottom against lefties. I think he's a good daily changes play. I don't know that he is a must roster player. He's probably not. But when he is in daily changes, and even for DFS, uh, if you guys are playing DFS, when he's at the top of the lineup, he's probably going to be, not minimum salary, but fairly close to it. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't play him when you look at the guys who are going to be batting behind him, especially with Fernando Tatis Jr. going to be coming back soon. It also begs the question of, will Grisham stay at the top of the lineup when Tatis is back? All good questions. He probably moves down a little bit. Maybe it's Hassan Kim who moves down a little bit. I think for right now, he's an interesting play in a deeper daily changes league, but he is not a must-roster player. He's interesting, but I'm not quite there yet in terms of you need to be adding him up in all formats. Because at the end of the day, he's still batting 225. Half the time, he's still batting eighth. So I don't know that there is going to be that much value in standard leagues, but he is somebody to keep an eye on. Because we know, even just from last year, he had 17 home runs and seven steals, albeit he batted 184. But if he can give you 15-plus homers, 10-plus steals, and get that batting average even up to an acceptable rate, then yes, uh, he would be somebody that I am interested in. As of right now, not particularly... A little bit, but not really outside of your deeper leagues. Josh Lowe is interesting as well because last year we were all in on Josh Lowe and he looked like he was going to be starting in the outfield for the Rays uh, starting from opening day last year from what I remember, or maybe within the first couple weeks of the season. I think it was honestly opening day he was up last year, though. He did not do well. Uh, he had 181 at-bats in the bigs last year. He batted 221. To start the year off this year, though, he's 8 for 22. He has a home run. He's driven in five. He's not playing every day. <clears throat> he has been like a, a platoon kind of guy, and even then, uh, he's not getting all of the platoon at-bats. I think that he is a very deep league guy at this point. He's not somebody that I would be interested in at all in your 10 or 12-team league. Uh, some people will disagree. I'm sure Ray's fans will disagree because he could still be very good. Like I, I think Josh Lowe has a potential to be a guy where you're getting double-digit homers, double-digit steals pretty easily. 
But I don't know that there is going to be that secure of a path for him to have regular playing time in the Tampa order. And when he is in the lineup, we've seen it. He's batting eighth. He's batting seventh. And he's not playing that regularly where I'd be interested just yet. So Josh Lowe is somebody where maybe you watch list him and see if the playing time gets a little more regular. But for right now, uh, there's no move to be making in terms of adding either of these guys, I don't think. Next up, Estuary, Estuary Ruiz. I always butcher his first name. Some people call him Estuary. It's not Estuary, I'm pretty sure, even though it kind of looks like that. Uh, the question is, what is he this season? I, I have no idea what he is going to be this season or in the long run because what he flourishes from, what his, his bread and butter is, is stealing bases. We've got one steal from him so far in 32 at-bats. He's batting 219. He has not hit a home run. He's got three RBIs. It's kind of frustrating. Um... But at the same time, you didn't spend a, a huge draft pick on Estuary Ruiz. You probably, and I'm going to just butcher his name, so I'll just call him Ruiz. You probably didn't spend a, a very high draft pick on him. It was in the 200 somewhere. If you're in a shallow league, if you're in like a Yahoo league, he was one of your later picks, uh, generally looking at about pick 200 and beyond. I think you hold. I think in a lot of cases you hold. You probably want to bench, but the amount of steals that he is capable of giving you is, is crazy. And I did have a question the other day about Ruiz versus Miles Straw. With Ruiz, it's more the enticing unknown of we don't, we don't know how good he can be at the major league level. Where with Straw, we know exactly what we're going to get. We're going to get awful batting average, no power, good steals. And that's pretty much it. With Ruiz, there's a little more potential for pop. We've seen it at the minor leagues. Like last year, across, uh, you know, in 2022, this was double A AA and triple A. He had 16 home runs, and 85 stolen bases. He also batted 332. i I'm not saying he's going to do anything close to that in the major leagues, but when you have that kind of potential for stolen bases, I know Miles Straw is, you know, good stolen base potential, but it's probably capped at about 25. You know, 25-30, absolute best case for Miles Straw. I think with Ruiz, best case is 50. I know we just haven't seen it yet. Is he going to do it this year? It's probably not going to happen. We're looking at probably like a C.J. Abrams from last season where we expect him to steal. He's not really stealing. I think that that will be something that changes, and I don't know that we're going to see it happen immediately, but there is no reason for them not to run him, especially out of the nine hole, especially out of any hole with with Oakland. Like They are just strictly in development mode. They're not competing for anything. They're probably not going to be in Oakland for very long. I don't know why they wouldn't just you know use Ruiz as the leadoff hitter, let him steal as much as they want. It's frustrating. I'd understand it if you want to drop him. But in most leagues, I think I am still holding on. 12 and beyond, I'm still holding on. In a 10-team league, I'd understand dropping him. Uh, but I think in most formats, you're still going to want to be holding on to him for now. Mike Soroka is a free agent. Should I pick him up with Ian Anderson headed for Tommy John surgery? This is a ESPN League. I got a screenshot here. He has 3.7% rostered in ESPN leagues. Mike Soroka is kind of interesting to me. But at the same time, I, I'm not terribly interested because the strikeouts are not there they've never really been there and he's also he himself hasn't really been there these last couple of years he hasn't thrown a major league pitch since 2020 strikeout rates when he was on <clears throat> very very low like his only full year was 2019 he was great with a 268 era but he had a once oh, excuse me he had 174 innings pitched and he struck out 142 batters that's not good that's really not good. We're talking about like a 20% strikeout rate. The best part of his fantasy outlook is the team he plays on. I like What he provides in and of himself is really not that great. He outperformed his pitching metrics a lot in 2019. 
it was a miracle that he actually had a good year in 2019 considering the, the ball environment and considering the ball was juiced. But I still can't look at him being so far removed from his last taste of Major League action and say, yes, Mike Soroka is somebody that you need to be adding up in all formats. I think that he is a deeper league guy, and even there, I don't know that he's really going to cut it. I think that he is okay. But there's probably some better options uh, than Mike Soroka at this point. He's 18% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. He did pitch four innings of one-run ball today in AAA. I just don't really know that he is going to cut it in a lot of leagues. I think he's a streaming candidate for wins and for hopefully good ratios, but the strikeouts are really not going to be there. I'm I'm just not sold overall that he is somebody where he's even really worth taking a chance on, honestly. like I, I can understand if you want to because the last we saw of him at the major league level was really good, but I just... It's been so long. It's been so long for somebody who doesn't get strikeouts with the injury problems. I'm I'm not there on Mike Soroka. I think there are better options in that, even even just within the rotation for the Braves, but in general on the free agent pool, outside of very deep leagues, I, I don't think there's any need to be adding him. This one just came in here as we've been recording. Uh, do I accept this trade or not? So you'd be trading away Manny Machado and Sal Perez and Pete Alonso. Holy crap. That's a massive trade to make uh, at this point of the season. Machado, Perez, and Pete Alonso, you'd be acquiring Jose Abreu, Alex Bregman, Tyler Stevenson, and Juan Soto. Let's break it down because I haven't actually I haven't actually seen this one before we started recording. Most of the questions came in beforehand, but let's kind of break it down here. So Soto and Machado, you can you can comp them. Fairly similar fantasy output, likely to both be top 20 fantasy players by the end of the season. Now we're looking at Jose Abreu and Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso pretty clearly takes the cake there. Tyler Stevenson for Sal Perez. You know, uh, it's close, but I think I might go with Stevenson there. And then the other side also gets Alex Bregman added on. It's close. It's a, it's a fairly reasonable trade for both sides. But I don't see the need to be making this kind of a trade at this point of the year. You're shaking up the entirety of your roster. You're you're. I just don't really see. I don't really see the point. I never really see the point in these massive trades. I think overall it's a fairly even deal, but I don't think I would do it. Uh, it's just too much going on. We don't really know the full value. Like I think Machado and Soto are going to be fairly even this year. Maybe they're not. Maybe one of them gets hurt. Maybe one of them is you know not very good. Maybe Machado doesn't steal as many bases as we hope, or you know Soto's batting average doesn't get quite up as what we were hoping from a couple of years ago. Uh, we don't we don't really know. Maybe Jose Abreu outperforms Pete Alonso over the whole season. I'd be shocked by it, but we we just don't know. We're a, we're a week and a half, two weeks in here. We just don't know what's going to happen. So I'd recommend not making this trade. You're getting an extra player here, which means you're going to have to drop somebody as well. I'm I'm not sold that you have that you have to do this trade. I think it's fine value wise. Machado, Sal Perez, and Pete Alonso for Jose Abreu, Alex Bregman, Tyler Stevenson, and Juan Soto. I think it's fine. But I just don't see much of a need to be doing it. It's a very dramatic shakeup this early into the season before we really truly know what's going on with with anybody to any large extent. We 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 can assume this guy's gonna be good this year. This guy's gonna be bad. He has two great starts. You know, just remember Mackenzie Gore last year, how he was on pace to be the National League Rookie of the Year, and he ended up. I don't even think he finished the season in the big leagues. Like he was brutal down the stretch. We never know, especially at this point of the year, how things are going to shake up. Now, there was also a question here over uh, in the DMs. He didn't answer in the replies, but are you dropping or holding guys like Edward Cabrera and Lucas Giolito in a 12-team head-to-head Cats? It is a redraft league. 
Certainly, Lucas Giolito, I'm holding on to. It's way too soon to get rid of a guy who is well over 90% raw. Actually, not over 90% anymore. He's dropped down to 88%. Obviously, when you get shit on by the Pirates, it's awful. But he had a good start against Houston to start the year. So it's just way too soon. Again, it's way too soon to be getting rid of a guy like Giolito. I know that he came at a discount this year, so dropping him is not going to be, you know, oh, you're dropping a top 50 player. It's not. You're dropping somebody you took probably in the 150s, but still... The potential for Giolito there, strikeout-wise, team context-wise, it's still very, very high, and I think it would be a mistake to move on from him at this point. Edward Cabrera is a very challenging one because I love Edward Cabrera. He is my most rostered player this season. Number one, most rostered player. I have him all over the place. I'm in six leagues. I thought I'd be in more. I ended up think, I thought it'd be like 10 leagues. I ended up doing six. I have him in four of them. I am heavily invested in him, and I have not dropped him anywhere, even though that is kind of the way that people are moving. He's dropped 8% in Yahoo roster percentage from 67 down to 59. I just think it's a little too soon again to be dropping him. we got to see what he does tomorrow because he gets the Phillies. If he just can't find the zone again, if he's walking six, seven, eight batters again, then yeah. Uh, but I want to give him a little bit more time to figure it out just because we know the potential is there. But it has been frustrating. I wouldn't blame you. Like on a 10-team league, if you want to drop him, I wouldn't blame you at all. He has walked 13 batters in six and two-thirds innings. Like, that is atrocious. That is absolutely brutal. I'd understand it if you want to shed him from your teams. At the same time, though, the potential is there for, this is my hot take in the preseason, one of them, uh, a Dylan Cease-type season of a 30-plus percent strikeout rate and a 10-plus percent walk rate. Little did I know, it's currently a 10-plus percent strikeout rate and a 30-plus percent walk rate, which is just absolutely horrendous. But it's still so early. I want to give him a bit more time. His next start, again, the, the matchups have not been favorable either. The Mets twice, and now he gets Philadelphia on the road. It's going to be tricky. And even if he doesn't do amazingly in this start, I'm just looking for some kind of improvement. So let's say he walks three batters, gives you five innings, two, two earned runs or something. Like, I'd take that as a huge improvement, especially against a very strong Phillies lineup. I know that they've lost Harper and Hoskins. They are still a very strong lineup. You got guys like Stott and Bohm who can very easily just fill in for those guys, not to the same degree, but give you comparable production and still, you know, making that lineup incredible to go along with guys like Schwarber and Castellanos and Turner and Real Mudo. It's a stacked lineup. I don't think anybody's going to question that. If Edward Cabrera has a bad outing, it would not be the end of the world for me. I'm still holding him outside of your shallow, shallow leagues. Eight-team league, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and move on. I don't have a problem there. Ten-team league, I think it's pretty borderline, but I'd still probably hold on. Uh, even in an eight-team league, like I just want to give him another chance, another couple of chances, because it's, again, so early in the season to draw full conclusions about what a player is going to be for the whole season that I just don't really want to be giving up on Edward Cabrera just to have him blow up in a month and figure out the control. Because if he figures out the control, that is the main thing there for him. If he's able to locate his pitches better and walk, even just you know, even if he's walking 10% of batters, we saw it last year with Dylan Cease that that can be effective. If you're striking out guys the way that he is capable of, then he can be a very, very excellent fantasy asset this season. I just want to give him another couple starts to see what's going to happen. If he is going out these next couple of times and he's walking five batters and six batters and whatever, be done with him, sure. But for right now, I think I still want to be holding on just for a, just for a couple more weeks. But that's going to do it for us. Hope you guys are appreciating the shows. I am loving doing these in-season shows. They are so much fun. In the off-season, they are fun as well. Um, but there's just not as much to talk about. You know, you, you, sometimes we got little pockets where there was a ton to go over. You know, when there was the hot stove was on fire, 
and everybody was signing. We did the rankings episodes, which were fun, and there was always content to be doing. But now that we have actual games going on, it's a lot more fun, and I really appreciate you guys hanging out here as we go through these in-season episodes. You guys can check us out over at sportsethos.com. That's where you get all of our different premium stuff and free. All of it is at sportsethos.com. And if you're on Twitter, please go check me out at JoeOrico99. I've been doing my news and notes uh, quick hits every single morning. Like I said earlier, I'll take probably one day off on the weekend. I'll take either the Saturday or the Sunday off. And depending on the week, I might not even do that. But you guys get those notes earlier in the day. They usually go out about 9 a.m., 10 a.m., and then we discuss them in more depth here on the show. So please check me out at JoeOrico99. More importantly than that, though, go check out Ethos Fantasy BB, E-T-H-O-S, Fantasy BB. We are still trying to grow out that page, trying to make it as big as possible. We're on the road to 1,000 followers. We're closing in on 1,000. We're about 800 right now. And even just a couple weeks ago, we were about 450. So we're doing a very good job there. You guys have done a very good job supporting us, and all of that is very much appreciated. Guys, before I let you go, one last thing. If you're listening somewhere that allows ratings and reviews, please throw down a five-star. That really helps us to grow the show. Leave a few comments below if you like, letting us know what you like about the show, what you dislike, who you'd like to see on or who you'd like to see talked about. Any kind of comments or concerns, you can leave them in the review section on Apple, Google, Spotify, or, of course, reach out to me on Twitter. Once again, at JoeOrico99, J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. Guys, we'll be back again tomorrow. We'll do it all again. But until then, take care, have a great night, and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.